Shalom, guys. We want to talk a little today on uh, dedication. Hanukkah, there's a lot of uh, controversy back and forth with Hanukkah because it's not listed in Leviticus 23, one of the Moedim, so should it be honored, should it be, uh, uh, you know, partake and things like that. I'm really not going to get into that today, guys. The point of the whole thing is, um, you know, we, we talk about traditions, and so do we keep a tradition for the sake of tradition? No, not really. Uh, but did Yeshua have a problem with traditions? Well, he said he did. Well, he said he had a problem with the traditions that went against the Torah. If you put up a tradition and it blocks the heart or the intent of what his word says, there's a problem there. Okay? But here's something else. Um, do we just like have to stop everything if it's not in the scripture? Here's an example. How many of you guys have to do your laundry? How many of you guys, you have to cook, you got to eat. You're not told the recipes now, or now do you? You know, this is my point. You can get to a point of of being ridiculous with it, and the heart may be good behind it, though. I mean, seriously, the heart may be good behind it. We want to serve the Father. We want to do our best, but if we are approaching us in a manner of "I've got to get this perfect," you're still trying to do it in your own strength. You're still trying to do it without Him. Okay, so we've got to make sure. Yes, we want to honor Him. We want to give Him our best. Absolutely. But at the same time, understand no matter what we do, we're going to fall short. Okay? So we, there's this place in here where he meets us. We honor him. We give him everything we got. It doesn't mean that, uh, well, God will meet me anyway, so I can just stop short anyway. Okay? But then again, that reveals the heart, doesn't it? See, we give the Father everything that we've got. And when we do fall short, he does meet us. And that's why we need each other. Because we all have different strengths, we all have different weaknesses, but together we can help each other out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's where it all becomes good. All right. So Hanukkah is about dedication. And that's the emphasis of the whole thing. Well, if you go through history and you read about how they ended up, they become a very corrupt people. You know, after they you know, did everything and they restored the temple, they became very corrupt. That's true. Go back to the beginning of it, though. Did they start that way? And why did they become corrupt? Because God wanted them to? No, because that was man, <laughs> right? But think about the Hanukkah story. The truth of the Hanukkah story is they defiled the temple. We want it back. We want to restore it back to the way that God said. We want to restore holiness to that place. What's wrong with that? Nothing is wrong with that. Matter of fact, that's what God said he wanted. Okay, so even the story, true, the true story behind Hanukkah, there's nothing wrong with it. But here's something else. Hanukkah. What does the word Hanukkah mean? Dedication. So when they were dedicating, what were they dedicating? Okay, they were dedicating the altar. Okay. So when it came time to dedicate the altar, how long did it take to dedicate the altar in the priesthood? Eight days. So where you find the word Hanukkah in the scripture, like back in Numbers, every time it's mentioned, it's talking about the altar and the priesthood and the dedica dedicating of that service. So the question comes down to, if we're going to live lives that are dedicated, what are we dedicated to? Are we dedicated to Yah, His Word, His ways, or are we dedicated to our idea of God? Because it's two completely different things. See, if we have our, our mindset of God that we serve and it's everything that we completely understand, then we're not acknowledging the fact that His ways are higher than ours, and we don't have him all figured out. <laughs> and at that sometimes we're going to see things differently and we're going to have to change that. 
So if we ever get to the place where we can say, yeah, we've got it all figured out. If anyone ever tells you that, I'd run. That's me. Because I know nobody's got it all figured out. You know, me too, right? But that doesn't mean that we're all in the same path to try to get there. Right? Because he tries to make us like him. So that means each day is a process. Each day we're learning things where maybe we need to change. Maybe there are things in our life that we haven't dedicated to him that we need to. If if our heart is supposed to represent an altar before him, maybe we need to be careful of what we're putting on that altar. Maybe we need that some of those altars maybe need to be torn down and rebuilt. You know? So these are a lot of things we're going to get into. Okay? So the month of Kislev, Kislev means hope. Kislev means hope. So what is our hope in? You know, a lot of people we say, well, we hope in God, but we don't really hope in God. We hope in our confession of God. Okay, well, what's the difference in that? <laughs> like we, we're kind of shooting a few misconceptions here, right? What's the difference there? We, like, we think that just because I say something, I tack God's name on it, that, that, that means that that's what we're going to get. And that's not necessarily true, is it? When we read his word, our heart lines up with his heart And he says, you say anything that you want, I'm going to give it to you, right? But that also lines up with when we surrender ourselves to him. Because then our heart is his heart. Our ways become what he desires. And the things that we ask for are things that he wants anyway. You know? So there's a different way of looking at things, different perspectives. Right? Where is our dedication? Because if our dedication is in our understanding of who God is or, who God's, or what God's Word is, then what happens when we're met with something where our understanding of the way God is or our understanding of the way His Word is, what happens when we're confronted with the truth that doesn't line up with that? And that's where a lot of people lose their faith. Because their faith isn't really in God, their faith is my understanding of God. That's a big thing, guys. I believe that's one of the things that, that why a lot of people walk away. Why a lot of people say, see, this whole God thing doesn't work because my life, the things I've experienced in my life, don't line up with the things that I'm seeing or reading, so see, this God thing doesn't work. So we walk away from Him completely. Wow. When we do need to understand, we need to learn to follow Him. And where our understanding doesn't line up, maybe we just need to stop and say, okay, God, if I'm misunderstanding this, I'm just going to like put this right here, and you need to help me out. <laughs> And again, that's why it's important to say why we need each other. Because we do help each other in these areas, right? Okay, so let's jump into a few things. Kind of like, uh, like I said, man, it's like, are you wearing steel toe boots today? You know? Like <laughs> it's true, though. Because we need to make sure that we examine ourselves to see what we truly are following. Okay? All right, a couple things. Let's start with this. Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. So the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that Yahweh your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. That's something, right? I mean, how many people does that kind of line up against? God will allow you to go through tests and trials. He didn't say he's going to tempt you, but he will allow you to go through tests and trials. Just that much. I know people that have lost faith because, well, life is too hard. And, in li- and life isn't supposed to be hard when you come to God. I'll tell you what, if anybody told you that, they're lying to you. <laughs> right. 
It's not like life becomes easy when you give your life to God, but now you have hope. That's a completely different change of perspective, okay? It's, it's not like, oh, life is easier. Yeah, life was easy for his disciples, wasn't it? You know, they were all martyred, guys. Okay, so, so it's not a matter of life being easy. It's a matter of life that's worth living. It's a matter of life of hope, right? So he says he allowed these things to test so that who? You would know what? What's in your heart? So that you would know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now that's something that we, we look at. God is allowing these things in our life so that we would know if we will keep his word or walk away from it. And that's what I'm talking about. It's that cognitive dissonance. When, things, when we don't understand, well, this is what I always thought, but this is what's happening. So we end up say, saying, well, something's false and walking away. And that's, we just need to understand it's not everything we've always thought. Okay, maybe God is trying to teach us something that we hadn't thought of before. Right? He's allowing these things in your life to know that if you would love him and follow him, or if we would follow an idol of him. How can you make an idol of him? Because when we have the way that we understand God is, and if anything contradicts that, I'm following my way of understanding the way I feel God is. We've essentially made an idol and called it, yeah. And we're going to follow that. Because that's convenient. Can I share something with you? I've never really seen a place in Scripture where God is really focused on something being convenient for you. <laughs> so, what does that tell us? Look, let's keep reading. Verse 3. So he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna that you didn't know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. You heard that, right? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. But again, put in the context of that is, are you going to keep my word or not? Which is why Yeshua quoted it when he was tempted. He says, no, you follow Yahweh, you love him, you walk in his ways. You don't, don't do this, right? All right, so first things first, before we get into any of this, James 4, 10 and 12, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Speak not evil of one another. That's big. You know why that's big? Because human nature loves to speak evil about each other. True? You know, people love to hear news. It doesn't matter what kind of news, you know? But it's even better when it's like someone's struggling with something. Or gossip. Ooh. Or we're attacking someone. That's, you, that's the fallen human nature. Okay? So we need to not be a people to follow after these things. It's our place in the kingdom to help build each other up to help lift each other up, to help edify one another. And that doesn't mean I'm going to sugarcoat everything for you either. That means I'm going to help you. I'm going to help build you up. And when you get a different perspective, when you're just looking down and you can't see up, you know, maybe there are people that are around you that are trying to kind of get you to see differently. You know? So speak not evil one another. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but judge. So there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. So who are you to judge another? That's the big thing, especially when you start talking about certain things. When we, when we are confronted with something that uh, we, we look at, let's just say a sin or just whatever it is, one of the big things that we do in our life is, well, so-and-so needs to hear this, Right? Man, this guy over here, he really needed to hear that. 
But what does the scripture tell us to do? Look at ourselves. Look at ourselves first. Right? That's why it says if we would judge ourselves, we won't be judged with the world. We're to take a good, honest look at ourselves. And when we fall short, there's a real simple way to fix that. Repent and move on. Right? Because we can do that too. We can beat ourselves up in areas that we've fallen short and fail to move on. And we're living constantly in a failure. But we have to be able to say, well, this day, I messed that up. We can repent. And that sometimes doesn't, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And then sometimes there are things that have to be done with that, but yet we can move forward with our life. Right? Okay, 1 John 1, 7. So if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with who? One another. See, that, that's another thing. It's really big. He says if we, have, if, we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, it doesn't just say we'll have fellowship with him, but it says we'll have fellowship with one another. In other words, if we're walking in, in, in his light, you know, he is the light that is in life. He's the light that came into the world. He's the word that was made flesh, John chapter 1, right? So if we're walking in that, then that our, our relationship with the Father is going to show in our relationships with each other. And that doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but that means we're going to, when we do make mistakes, or when we do hurt one another, or when we do trespass against one another, we're going to try quickly to fix it, right? So, Walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of a son, Yeshua, cleanses us from all sin. First John 2, 4 through 6 says, So the one saying, I have known him and not keeping his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in that one. But whoever keeps his word, truly this one, the love of Yahweh has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So the one claiming to rest in him ought to walk himself even as he walked. And that's a big thing because... We, a lot of people really don't know or understand how Yeshua walked. And I don't mean, you know, with a limp like Jacob, you know. I mean, how he lived his daily life. Guys, he kept Sabbath. He, uh, he honored the Torah. He kept all the commandments. Uh, he, he kept the Moedim. You know, I mean, we've, we find records of, of all this throughout the Brit Hadashah. We find records that he did all this, okay? Uh, even things like, so he went to the synagogue on Shabbat, and as his custom was, well, he had a custom. See, that's a man-made thing. <laughs> no. See, it's as his custom was. that This is what he liked to do. This is what he did all the time. What? He gathered to, he to hear the Torah read and to read the Torah and to be there on Shabbat with the to gathering in. All right, 1 John 3. So every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Whoever commits sin transgresses the law. For sin is what? Transgression of the law. See, that's one of the things. If you talk to someone and you say, what is sin? The interesting thing is it's, it's one of those questions where we think we know the answer. I mean, really think about it. If you just approach someone and say, hey, I got a question for you. What is sin? They might start naming like, well, murder, you know, sexual immorality, I mean, just start naming things, right? The thing is, those are sins, but that's not what is sin. See, if you say, if you just start naming sins, we could be here all night, all week, right? Because the list keeps going. But say, what is sin? There's one answer. Sin is transgression of the Torah. Wherever that is, sin is transgression of the Torah. So if we're transgressing the Torah, that's sin. And this is important. Why? Because this is in our understanding that Yeshua never transgressed the Torah. He kept it. 
Because if we go on and we read, so you know that he was manifest to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Well, most believers, I say most, unfortunately it's true, but most will say that he was sinless. I agree with this. He is sinless. He was sinless. He didn't sin. The reason why I say this is because back in Leviticus chapter 4, it says if the high priest sins, he brings guilt on the whole community of Israel. If the high priest sins. So what we have here is our high priest, if he sinned, he would not bring guilt on Israel. He would bring guilt on everything under his authority, which was what? Uh, everything. <laughs> so if he, if he sinned, we wouldn't be here. All right. So he had to be sinless. And, but to understand that he did not sin meant he'd never transgressed Torah. And one of the things with the Torah is, if you do not keep the Torah, if you do not walk in the Torah, if you do not intentionally set out to walk in it, that in itself is a transgression. Just the intent of not doing it is a transgression. So he kept it. Okay? So now it brings us to the next question. Does Yahweh change? No. No. If we served a mighty Elohim who changes, boy, that would be a wild existence, wouldn't it? We can rest in the fact that He doesn't change. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I take comfort in that. Because it's not a matter of God saying, I love you, I draw you with my loving kindness, eh, today I'm just, I don't like you, get out of here. You know, I, I rest in the fact that he doesn't change. And we find in the scripture, in Malachi 3, it says, I am Yahweh, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Notice the promise of him saying, I don't change. There's a connection to the sons of Jacob not being consumed. In other words, the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes, Israel will remain. Notice that promise. God's saying, I don't change. Therefore, Israel will remain. Well, that's comforting, especially in today's world, right? It says, even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says Yahweh Tzavaot. But you said, where and shall we return? This is it. Yahweh is saying, even though we turn away, he's still there. And he's still telling us to, to come to him, to come be in his presence, and to come to, to live with him, and to come serve, and to, just to come be in his kingdom. Hebrews 13.8 says that Yeshua is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. So because he is the same and he doesn't change, that means we have to. Because when we come to him, we don't know his ways. We don't know his heart. We don't know the things that he desires for us to do. So when we come to him, we now begin a lifelong journey of step-by-step -step learning the heart of our Father. And we can either approach that in a way of, oh my gosh, I'm so scared if I get something wrong, even if I don't know what it is, I'm going to get blasted. Or we can do that from the, from the heart of, I'm going to try my best to understand what he wants me to do, and when I make a mistake, he'll correct me, but he'll do it because he loves me, and he'll show me where, the, where those pitfalls are. See? God said he chastens who he loves, right? You are supposed to be what? holy people he says he is holy 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 and because he is holy are we born holy <laughs> when he redeems us 
He sets us apart. And now we need to learn how to walk a holy life. See, this is it, guys. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself holy. You know, the whole, like this whole holier-than-thou kind of a thing. No one has the right to do anything like that because there's nothing you can do to make yourself more holy. Well, then how can we be a holy people then? Because God says, I made you holy. But then He goes on and says, don't defile yourself. See, He makes us holy, and He says, this is the way I desire for you to walk. Walk in these ways because I make you holy. Don't defile yourself. See, that's a different perspective. We trust in Him, we rest in Him because He is holy, but yet that's our path to choose daily. We'll walk in His ways because He says that's what He desires. Okay? Look at this, 1 Peter 2, verses 7 through 12. So unto you therefore which believe He is precious, but unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders are disallowed, the same as made the, ch- the head of the corner. Check it out. Peter is, is equating your obedience with your belief. Well, it doesn't read that way, does it? Actually, it does. Because he says, to you who believe he is precious, but to you who are disobedient. So what he's comparing and contrasting here is belief and disobedience. So in other words, if you do not believe, you will be disobedient. If you believe, you will be obedient. Makes sense, doesn't it? And understand, like even the Hebrew word for uh, belief is emunah. means the same word we get for faith. Same word where we, I mean, the, the prayers, amen. It's faith. It's faithfulness. Faithful. And so even here, so God is faithful. And we believe, we, that is faith. And because we believe, we do. We know that faith, ha, faith has an action attached to it, right? Abraham believed God and it counted him as righteousness, right? Well, how did he believe God? He said, I want you to leave where you're at. I'm going to give you descendants. You're, I mean, into promise after promise. Well, what if Abraham would have said, I believe you, and sat right back down where he was and didn't move? Did he believe him? No. There had to be an action that was associated that, was, that meant believe. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Everywhere where it says, by faith, you know, the great faith chapter, right? Everywhere where the scripture says, by faith, there's an action after it. Now, he doesn't say because of the action they're redeemed. Understand that, guys. Yahweh, when he, was, when he gave us his Torah, when he gave us his word, he gave it as a people who he had redeemed. All, even all the way back when they came out of Egypt. When they came to the mountain, he said when they came out of Egypt, he redeemed them. Go back to the burning bush. That's what he told Moshe. So he says, I redeemed you. Then he brought them through the mikvah through the sea, then he brought them to the mountain to receive the word by his spirit to have this word that's there to equip them for what lie ahead. So he gave them his word after he redeemed them. He did not give us his word and say, when you get this right, I'll redeem you. See, that's the misconception, isn't it? Because we're redeemed, we walk in his word. Right? All right. So the stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, wherein they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You know, back where this is quoted from in the Torah, where it says you are a peculiar people, the word is segula. Segula, and what segula means is a special treasure. 
Something that is so much treasured that you want to safeguard it to keep anything from happening to it. You, 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 you treasure it so much that you put it in a safe place. Right? Like if you had a, you know, a, a great diamond or a great pearl or something like that, would you just walk around with it? Or you, you, you want to treasure it and you want to make sure nothing happens to it, so what do you do with it? You put it in a safe. Right? All right. Verse 10. So which in time past you were not a people. It doesn't mean you weren't human. It means you were not in covenant. Right? You were not his people. It says, but now you are the people of God. So which had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. So dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works they shall behold, glorify the God of the day of his visitation. This is what they're saying. That you're going to conduct your life differently than the rest of the world, that they're going to know there's something different about you. That the God that you serve has made a change in you. And, be, and they're going to be put in a position where they're going to have to glorify him because of it. Because they see the difference. Isaiah 8, 13-16. Sanctify Yahweh Sava'ot himself and let him be your fear, let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, for a rock of it, where have we heard that? We just quoted it, right? For a stone of stumbling, for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. To who? To both the houses of Israel, to Ephraim and to Yehuda. To, so the idea here is that we be one people, a people called Israel, a people called by his name, you know, as to stand as one. The reality of it is we're not really there yet. <laughs> we're still in the process of it. I believe it's happening, but we're not all the way there. And so until then, this is what we're looking at. So this is where this stumbling, this is where this offense comes in. It says, uh, to the inhabitants of Yerushalayim, and many among them shall stumble and they fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Check that out. Bind up the testimony and seal the law among who? His disciples. If we are a disciple of Yah, then he says that we will have his word sealed up within us. Guess what, guys? His word is the word that he gave from the beginning. His word is the Torah. If we say, I have his Torah written on my heart and that gives you like goosebumps and shivers and you get like kind of feelings, there's a problem. Because his word is his Torah. And that's what's supposed to be written in us. He, when he came, he didn't change his word. What he changed was the, the ability to put it in you. That which we have here now is a part of you. And that equips us to walk in it. Leviticus 19.2 Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. Why? Because I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. That's it. He says you are holy because why? Because He is holy and He is our God. He didn't say you are to be holy because you do all these things just the right way. He said you are holy because He is your God. And then all these times after that, He says learn to walk in His ways. Don't walk in the ways of the world. Learn to walk in His ways. Uh, 2026. You shall be a holy people unto me, for I, Yahweh, am holy. And I have severed you from other people that you may be mine. The, the, the ability to redeem everyone is there, but not everyone will be redeemed. 
Yahweh's desire is that none should perish. But it's up, to, it's up to us to come to Him and to receive of His ways and His heart and to enter into covenant with Him. But when He do this, notice there's a severing of other people. Notice I, I'm not saying there's a disassociation and you can't talk to anyone, you can't do it, and you need to, to go run away and hide. This is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is, a different, there is a difference that's being made known between who God's people are and who aren't. Much like when they were in Egypt and, the, and a lot of the plagues came forth, remember, especially like the darkness, but in Goshen there was light. So he said, I will make a distinction between my people and those who are not my people. That's what God told Moshe and Aaron, that I will make a distinction between my people and the Egyptians. So there is, there is a distinction being made between the people that are Yahweh's and the people that aren't. And the distinction is not you have to get it perfect. The distinction is covenant. Because if we had to get it perfect, then even the patriarchs and patriarchs didn't get it. Even though everyone in the scripture didn't get it. Well, Yeshua. <laughs> everyone else. Right? Ephesians 5, 5-11. For you should know this, that no one guilty of fornication or unclean person or covetous one or is an idolater or has no inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah of Yahweh. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For through these things, the wrath of Yahweh comes on the sons of who? Disobedience. So then do not become partakers with them. Okay? Eight. For you then were darkness. Notice it doesn't just say you were in darkness. It says you were darkness. So you were darkness, but now light in the Master. Walk as children of light. You know, Yeshua says, I am the light of the world. John 8, 12, right? But you notice he also told his disciples, you are the light of the world. Well, how can they be the light of the world if he was the light of the world? Is that blasphemy? No. He's saying, I and you, you and me, I and the Father are one. If, if he is the light of the world, then it's his light in us that is shining. Amen. See, that's how we're learning to walk in his ways. That's why we say, you know, well, oh, you're, you're trying to walk in your own holiness or your own sanctification or your own works. No, I'm trying to walk in his. <laughs> so as we're walking according to his word, we're walking in his righteousness. Okay? Not our righteousness, it's his. So, for the, for the uh, fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And you must discern what is acceptable before our master and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather condemn them. So what are we looking at here? Tradition. Anything wrong with tradition? Let's, let's look at a, let's look, just one, one very simple thing. If we're really honest with ourselves, we all have traditions. From one degree to the next. There are traditions that you do every day of your life. We call them habits. <laughs> it's tradition. You get up in the morning, you got a routine, you got a schedule. Yeah, change it. See what see how you feel. If all of a sudden, like if I come to you, if I give you, okay, the tomorrow morning, you wake up, this is what you're going to do. I'm, we're changing your routine. This is what you're going to do tomorrow morning. You're going to get up and you're not going to know which way is up. You know, you're stumbling over yourself and all oh, thing and where's the dog and I mean everything, right? Why? Because there's just a certain way you like to do things. So is that in and of itself sinful? No. Is it if it contradicts scripture? Yes. <laughs> See? So that's that's the point we're getting at. Alright? So we're told that Yahweh has traditions. You ever think about it that way? 
Yahweh has traditions. The word chok, which we translate as decree, ordinance, or custom, is also translated as tradition. Now that kind of puts a different spin on it. Leviticus 18 uh, one through five. So Yahweh spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I, Yahweh, your God. Why so many times did he have to say, I am Yahweh, your God? Did they not know who was speaking to them? No, they knew who was speaking to them. Why did he say over and over and over again, I am Yahweh, your God? Because notice, when he says, I am Yahweh, your God, the next thing he's about to tell them, he's saying, if you understand this or not, doesn't change the fact that you're mine. If he is our God, then we listen to his ways doesn't matter if we don't get it because there are some things we might not get and there are some things we're not going to get until we do it let me think about that for a minute where is our faith is our faith in our understanding or is our faith in him if our faith is in our understanding guess what guys that's not faith because faith has a test it has an action do you walk in what yahweh is saying even when you don't understand that's where faith comes in right it says, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. Imagine putting yourself in, the, in, this, in this position. You're going to a land that I am taking you to. It's your land. You're going, the, the people that are there will be dispossessed, right, because they were uh, not a holy people. They were not in covenant, and God says they defiled the land. The land will spew them out. You're going to go into the land. You're going to keep my ways. So he says, the land that I'm taking you to, there are, there are things that are happening there now that are not good. And Egypt, where you came from, there were things that were happening there that I don't want you to do. So I don't want you to do how you've lived your whole life and seen your whole life. And the things you see before you, I don't want you to do those either. So what do I do? I mean, can you imagine? Okay, so don't do how I was raised my whole life. Don't do what I see them doing over there. What am I supposed to do then? And that's why he tells them, walk in my ways. Don't do what they do. Don't do what they do. If the Egyptians jumped off a bridge, <laughs> would you do it? This is the point, guys. This is the idea. Yahweh is, is telling us to trust him and to honor him and to learn to walk in his ways. Okay? So this is what we do. Verse 4, you shall follow my rules, keep my statutes, walk in them. I am Yahweh your God. That's all the reason we need. I am Yahweh your God. Verse 5, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am Yahweh. What he's saying is if a person is doing what I'm telling him to do, he shall have life in them. He shall have a life worth living is what we're really looking at. And what did Yeshua say? I've come that they may have life and abundant life, right? So how do we do that? Learn to walk in his ways. Because that's a life that doesn't have the potholes of sin and death and curse. But we walk in ways of life and blessing and light, right? Mark 7, 6. So he answered and said, Well, as Isaiah prophesied, hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Okay, so we're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Let me just kind of throw this in there, and I could say a lot about this, but here's just a really good summary. It's not a tradition of man if it starts with, and Yahweh said. 
As you're reading through the Torah, and it says, And Yahweh spoke to Moshe and told him. That's not a tradition of man. That's the word from Yah, directly. Okay? For laying aside the commandment of God, that's the point. To have a tradition of man, you have to disregard what God is telling you. It's not wrong to just say, here's something where I want to honor, but yet we're not contradicting Scripture to do so. So laying aside the commandment of God, hold the tradition of men as washing the pots and the cups and many others. Oh, see, the tradition of men is washing dishes. So stop washing your dishes. <laughs> yeah, and, and how long would that take before you got really sick? Right? So he said to them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. That's the key. To reject the tradition of God to keep your own tradition. That's where the problem comes in. Okay? Mark 7, 13. Make the word of God of none effect through your tradition which you have delivered and many, and, uh, many such like things do you. All right. So what's the context of the scripture? The context of what he was getting at? If you go back and you read that, that passage of scripture, it was the context of ritual hand washing. Is that a commandment of Yahweh? No. Here's a, here's a thought. Is it wrong to wash your hands? Uh, no, I hope you all do it very often. <laughs> Multiple times throughout the day even. <laughs> okay? Especially if you're cooking. All right? <laughs> I, hope you I hope you do. That's not the problem. That's not the issue. Right? Plus, we, in the scripture, we see mikvahs. I mean, even, even David, who can, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands, pure heart. That's not just a physical thing. That is a, a metaphor. That is speaking your actions and your deeds and your heart is pure. Yes, but <laughs> take it for what it's worth, right? So what's really saying? What's really going on? They're saying you, you, didn't, you didn't properly wash your hands unless you did it this certain ritual way. With, I mean, you've got to wash up to here, you've got to do this hand first, you've got to do the, this hand, there's blessings, there's all this. That's the problem. And there's nothing wrong with washing your hands. And there was really nothing wrong with washing your hands and saying a blessing. But if you, but if you say, this is a commandment from God, it's not. See, that's where the problem enters in. Okay? So the text also states that there are many other things they do that they call a commandment that are not. That's what we're looking at. So, were the people of Yahweh always faithful? No. No. Can we say, we've always been faithful to Yahweh. We've never fallen. We've never failed. We've never come up short. Our best intentions fall short. Right? So, have the people of Yahweh... Yes. Yes. So, does that give us an excuse? Well, we're not going to do it perfect anyway, so that means we don't have to. Why bother even trying? No. Because God said that His desire is for us to walk in His ways. So we learn to walk in his ways. And something that was hard, to, hard today might not be hard tomorrow. I mean, everything new is difficult, right? So there's a changing of mindset, changing of perspective, changing of the way that we do things. And day by day, God is always teaching us something new, which means each day has its own set of challenges. Okay? And if we come up short in one spot, there's tomorrow. God is faithful. But understand, in these times when He redeems us and pulls us out of these things that we just didn't know how we were going to get out of, He's faithful. But he, it's the same thing. The same test we're taking now, He's faithful. He'll let us take it tomorrow. <laughs> For what that's worth. You know, I like the way that Batya puts it. Cheer up, it gets worse. <laughs> when you're on the mountaintops, 
this too will pass. When you're in the valleys, this too will pass. No matter what our point is in life, God is always faithful. Whether it's the top or the low, God is faithful. And that's why it says He'll make the mountains level and He'll raise up the valleys. He doesn't mean He's literally going to change, the, change the, 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 the structure of the earth. What He means is you will be constant through everything. Okay? You're going to trust Him no matter if you're on the mountaintop or if you're in the valley at every point in between. Right? Psalm 106, 34. They did not destroy the people as Yahweh said to them, but they mixed with the nations and they learned their works. And they served their idols and they became a snare to them. Wouldn't it be great to have uh, one of our greatest failures like written down for everyone else forever? <laughs> How many times do we see the people went off into idolatry? A lot. A lot. So here we have the people didn't do as they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go in to dispossess the people that were there and they didn't do that. But yet they ended up because of idolatry, they went in and they mixed with all the nations and then they learn their ways, and what happens next? They become assimilated into the areas around them. Instead of being a light wherever they were put, they assimilated into their ways. And they learned the ways of the nations instead of being Israel wherever they were. What did God tell us to do? We're supposed to show His kingdom, His heart, His ways wherever we are. Okay? It doesn't mean we hate people because their ways are different, but what that means is, we learn to be the light no matter what position or where we're at. Right? Leviticus 26.13 I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Why? Why? So that you would no longer be slaves. Look at this. I broke the yoke of, of slavery from your neck so that, why? You can walk with your heads held high. Scripture says that I broke your bondage and brought you out of slavery so that you can walk upright. What does it mean to walk upright? It means to walk in His ways. It means to walk righteously. So He says, I freed you, I redeemed you, I brought you out of slavery so you can walk in righteousness. So we learn to walk in His ways. However, if you do not listen to me or obey these commands, and if you break my covenant by rejecting my decrees. Think about that. Break covenant by rejecting His decrees. If we really think about that, that might change the way we see certain things. Rejecting his decrees, he considers breaking his covenant. Yeah, let me show you. Let me sure I got the right button here. There we are. All right, this right here. Be'im, be'hukotai. This word, this two letters right here. What's that word yet for you Hebrew people? Hulk. That's that word that we said. Ordinance, decree, or custom. Yeah. And this word, Tim Aso, this is the word that's used for despise. Like, and Esau did what? He despised his birthright. He took something that was a holy thing and he despised it and considered it nothing. So the scripture said he was profane. And so God is saying, if we are considering. It doesn't even say Torah. It says, it says hook. Which are those things that we see in the Scripture where God tells us this is what I want you to do, but He doesn't always tell us why. Why would that be an issue? Because that's where that faith comes in. That's where that trust comes in. That's where those other things come in. That he, Even if He did try to explain it to us, we may be like deer in the headlights. You know? I hear you saying, but I don't get it. 
right? Kind of like you when you're talking to your two-year-old, why you're trying to explain to them running down the middle of the road is not a good idea. They hear you going wah, 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 <laughs> but they don't get it. They just want to play. Sometimes we do that. And sometimes we need to just say, Yahweh told us not to go this route, so we just need to trust him, right? Leviticus 26.30. I will destroy your pagan shrines, knock down your places of worship. I will leave your lifeless corpses piled on top of your lifeless idols, and I will despise you. Well, that's kind of harsh. No, that's refusing, that's opposing the one who created you. <laughs> that's saying, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to walk in my own ways. Okay, It's rebellion. Because I will make your cities desolate and destroy your places of pagan worship, and I will take no pleasure in your offerings that you should be a pleasing aroma to me. So here's a question. Can you do the right thing the wrong way? Uh, yeah. You can do the right thing the wrong way. You can have good intentions on something, but carry it through in a way that's, that's not good. Right? You know, a lot of things it comes down to is you can't make somebody do what's right. Look at this. David and the ark. Was it a good thing for David to bring the ark back to Jerusalem? Well, yeah. Where was the ark supposed to be? In Jerusalem. But he did it the wrong way, and someone lost their life because of it. After, after the incident, he went back to the Levites and said, how am I supposed to do this? And they told him. Hmm, where, how could he like, stop this in the first place? How about going back to the Word and saying, how am I supposed, how am I supposed to transport the ark? All right, Nadav and Avihu, did they do the right thing the wrong way? Was it right to bring incense before God? Yes. Was it their place to do it? No. Because God specifically said it was Aaron's place to bring incense before the Lord. And put on top of that, so they tried to do something that was not authorized for them to do, and then they tried to bring strange fire with it on top of that. Huh. Ananias and Sapphira. Let's go to the Brihad shop for a second. Was it, was it an honorable thing to give to the community? Of course. Then why did they die? Because they lied about it. Did they have to give everything? And the answer is no. No. So then what was the problem? Because they said it was everything. I mean, think about that, really. They sold a piece of property. Was the property theirs? Yes. Did God tell them they had to sell it? No. <laughs> so they sold a piece of property, so they got money for the property. They wanted to give some of the money some of the money. Is anything wrong with that? No. Did God tell them to do it? Not directly. The amount of money that was given. They said they were going to give it all. Did God tell them they had to give it all? No. It was their money. See, I mean, so every step of the way, I mean, this was their decision. But when they, when the, when it came out, so you said you were giving it all, why would they do something like that? To try to appear more than they are? Pride? Honor? Right? To try to appear like there's something that they're not? Is that everything? Yeah. That's all of it. Right? And it wasn't. What happened? He died. And then the scripture says, <clears throat> the youth group carried him out and buried him. And then the wife came in. Same thing. Can you imagine being those kids? They came back in, and they're like, really? <laughs> Another one? 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, I, I had it up there. I didn't say it. What about Shaul and his zeal? Rav Shaul? Rabbi, right? He was a Pharisee. He said, I am a Pharisee. His own words, right? The thing I don't get is when we say, well, Paul converted. Okay, here's the thing. I don't believe that per se. Because he's like, he served the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although wrong in many ways. But he served the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So then he saw Yeshua on the road, was blinded by the light. He says he spoke to me in Hebrew. Now he's going to completely change and he's going to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now. Did he convert to something else? No. He served the same God. What changed was now he saw a completely different perspective on how he was supposed to do that. He didn't, he didn't switch to now he's a Christian. That, that's not the way it was. Okay? <laughs> All right. So question, can we as believers redeem customs from the nations and use them in worship or as memorials for Yahweh? I think context was great, a big issue with that. Can we take customs from the nations and use them in worship or as memorials to Yahweh? Now, there are some customs from the nations I don't see a problem with. They're not religious customs in no way, shape, or form tied to them. But if we take something that was done to pagan idols... And now we say, I mean, this is how things are formed. Now we say we're going to do this in a mode of worship to Yahweh. That's where the problem comes in. Look, Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 4. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall observe to do in the land, which Yahweh, the God of your fathers, gives to possess it all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which you shall possess serve their gods, upon the high mountains, upon the hills, under every green tree. And you shall overthrow their altars, break their pillars, burn their groves with fire. You shall hew down the graven images of their gods, destroy the names of them out of that place. God wanted them to have nothing to do with idolatry at all. Okay? Verse 4 says, You shall not do so unto the Lord your God. That's why. He says, I don't want you to do the things that they do and do it for me. Uh, Deuteronomy 12, 29. So when the Lord your God shall cut off the nations from before you where you go to possess, then you succeed them and you dwell in the land. Take heed to yourself that you be not snared by following them after they're destroyed from before you. That's weird. How can you follow them after they're already destroyed? That's what we're talking about. You learn the ways because they're destroyed. So you learn their ways and you say, I want to do those ways in honor and worship to Yahweh. It says that you inquire not after their gods. How do these nations serve their gods? Even so, I will do likewise. He's not just saying, how do these nations serve their gods? I want to serve their gods. What he's saying is, how do these nations serve their gods? I want to do this for Yah. So you shall not do so unto the Lord your God, for every abomination to Yahweh which he hates, they have done to their gods, even their sons and their daughters, they have burnt with fire to their gods. What things soever I command you, observe to do it, and you shall not add or diminish from it. Deuteronomy 18.9. So when you enter the land Adonai your God is giving you, you are not to learn to follow the abominable practices of these nations. This is why it's important. So when we go into these other nations, don't learn the ways of the nations. Okay? 
There must not be found among you anyone who makes a son or daughter pass through the fire, a diviner, a soothsayer, an enchanter, a sorcerer, a spellcaster, a consulter of ghosts or spirits, or a necromancer. Just as a side note, guys, every single one of these are like the summer blockbusters. Are they not? For whoever does these things is detestable to Adonai. Because of these abominations, Adonai your God is driving them out ahead of you. You must be wholehearted with Adonai your God. Be what? Wholehearted with Adonai your God. Jeremiah 13.6 And after many days Yahweh said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the loincloth I commanded you to hide from there. And I uh, went to Euphrates, and I dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where, the, where I had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled, for it was good for nothing. And the word of Yahweh came to me and said, uh, Thus says Yahweh, Even so will I spoil the pride of Yehudah and the great pride of Yerushalayim, the evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow what? Their own heart, and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, which will be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. Wow. I'm not going into detail there, but that's pretty graphic. What was the problem with the golden calf? Was the problem just that they made a golden calf? Okay, as bad as that was, it gets worse. And it's not just that they bowed down to a golden calf either. It gets worse. What happens? Exodus 32, 3 through 6. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears. They brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. And they made a golden calf, and they said, These are your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Okay, they fashioned the golden calf, then made the declaration, this is what redeemed you. Wow, that's bad. And it gets worse. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Wow. He built an altar before this golden calf. And Aaron made the proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. yod Hey vav Hey. He built an altar in front of this golden calf and said, we are going to have a feast to Yahweh tomorrow in front of this golden calf. They built the golden calf, erected an altar, and said, we're, going to, to, we're calling this thing Yahweh and we're worshiping right here. The work of their own hands, they said, was Yah who redeemed them. It's just, it's, can, can you imagine what that does to the heart of the Father? They rose up early the next day. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and all the people sat down to eat, drink, and they rose up to play. You can imagine. They made an idol. They worshipped it the way you would for an idol and they said they were doing it to Yahweh. Do we do the same? We can if we're not careful. We need to, to, to make sure we're walking in His ways and walking the way that He says his life in a way that is good, in a way that is holy. But God knows my heart. Right? It's funny how quick we throw that out when we want to make an excuse for something. True, isn't it? He says, God knows my heart. Okay, but does it matter if we deliberately do not listen? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, Yahweh, search the heart, and I test the mind. It's kind of like that phrase, only God can judge me. That should make you scared. 
I, I, Yahweh, search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Okay. <laughs> the letter to the church in Revelation. To the seven churches, he wrote, I know your deeds. To everyone. He didn't say, I know your heart. He said, I know your works. Why? Because that's what revealed the heart. Out of the heart is what the actions were birthed from. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who does what? Tests the hearts. Proverbs 28.9-10 If a person will not listen to the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever causes the honest to pursue evil ways will himself fall into his own pit, but the pure-hearted will inherit good. Wow. So are we really willing to listen to Yahweh in those areas of, of our life where we don't want to give things up that we like. That's a challenge, isn't it? Ezekiel eleven eighteen. So when they come there, they will remove from uh, all the detestable things and all the abominations, and I will give them one heart. Whose heart? His heart. I will give them one spirit. Whose spirit? His spirit. And I will put it within them. So he says, I will put a spirit within them. So he puts his spirit in us to what end? For what cause? Why? And I will put within them, and I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may, what? Walk in my statutes. You know what that word for statutes is? Hulk, the one we've been talking about. Walk in my statutes, keep my rules, and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, says Yahweh. Deuteronomy 29, 19. So if there is such a person, when he hears the words of this curse, he bless himself secretly saying, I'll be all right, even though I will uh, stubbornly keep doing whatever I feel like doing. <laughs> in other words, when God is saying, there's blessings in this curse. If you do these things, there is a blessing, there is life. If you do not keep my word, these curses are there. And someone hears this and they go, I don't need that stuff. That's an ancient book anyway. What does that reveal? Uh, we don't have a heart for the Father. We want to do what we want to do. We really don't care what God has to say about it. What does it say? Verse 20. But Adonai will not forgive him. Rather, the anger and jealousy of Adonai will blaze up against that person. Every curse written in this book will be upon him. And Adonai will blot out his name from under heaven. Adonai will single him out from all the tribes of Israel to experience what is bad in all the curses of the covenant within this book of the Torah. Man, I don't want to be that guy. Right? The wheat and tares. Think about the wheat and the tares. Matthew 13, 27 through 30. So the servants of the householder came and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? So why are there tares? And he said, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, So you want us to go and gather them all up? And he said, No, because if you gather up all the tares, you'll root up the wheat there as well. But let both what? Grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather together first the what? Tares. And bind them into the bundles and burn them. But then gather the wheat into the barn. So just kind of throwing this out there. Who was gathered up first? The unrighteous. The tares were gathered up and removed. The righteous remained and were gathered into the barn. Isaiah 65, 2. I have spread out my hands all the day into a rebellious people which walk in a way that was not good. What's the way that's not good? After their own hearts. So a people that proves to me 
uh, provokes me to anger continually to my face, the sacrifices in gardens, burn incense on altars of brick. This sounds like spiritual people, doesn't it? <laughs> they remain among the graves and they lodge in monuments. They eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things in their vessels. You want some abominable soup? It's what they're eating, right? And he says, but, th but they say, stand by yourself. Don't come near me because I am holy. They're doing all these abominable things and they're calling themselves holy, not wanting to have anything to do with, with God and His Word. They're calling themselves holy apart from His Word. Yet de Deception, right? Behold, it's written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says Yahweh, which have burned incense upon the mountains, blaspheme me upon the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. Verse 8, thus says Yahweh, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so I will do for my servants' sakes that I may not destroy them all. Kind of like the wheat and the tares. They weren't all rooted out just to get rid of them in the midst, but yet when the time came, they were all gathered out first. And I will bring forth the seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and my elect shall inherit it, my servants shall dwell there. So, Where's our walk? Our, what are we really truly dedicated to? Our, will our daily life reflect that which we feel is important? It does. The decisions that you make in life and the decisions of the things that you do day by day reveal what you really think are, are important things in your life. That's something to ponder. Isaiah 66, 17. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the garden behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh, the abomination and the mouse, will be consumed together, says Yahweh. For I know their works and their thoughts, and it shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. So what's Hanukkah about? Dedication. Are we dedicated to Yahweh? Here's another thought. Or are we just united in our opposition of something else? Is our faith in Yahweh rooted and grounded and He redeemed me, He loved me, I love Him? Or is the basis of our faith, they lied to me? It's a completely different perspective. Because what happens when we discover something else that we thought our whole life that's wrong? Now we're mad at a whole other group. But if the basis for our faith is, I want to know Yahweh, I want to know His ways, it doesn't matter where we've learned, it doesn't matter where we've came from, it doesn't matter what it looks like. As we learn what He's saying and what He's desiring for us, step by step, we're going to walk in that. And, and here's the thing. Can we honestly say that everyone, that people who don't believe that the way that I'm seeing now is lying to me? No, I don't think so. Because just the, by the definition, to lie means I believe something else to be true. And I'm telling you something different. How about deceived? Can you truly be mad at someone who's deceived and saying what they think? How about pray for them? How about this? Are we trying to unite in what we're opposed to? Or are we united in what we stand for? That's a big difference, isn't it? We need to be united in what we stand for, not just what we stand against. You know, a lot of people have taken on the, the phrase, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? That's flawed. Because what happens when the enemy of your enemy is my friend? What happens when you unite together to get rid of that enemy? They're gone. Now you're enemies again. Doesn't work. 
We need to be united in what we're for. We need to be united in pursuing the heart of the Father, learning to walk in His ways, right? That's where our dedication is. How about this? If we're just delivered from something and not delivered to, then our deliverance is incomplete. If we're constantly running, we're never safe, we're never home. But when Yahweh delivered His people, He brought them out of Egypt to bring them to Himself. And then He sent them to the land. If He just brought them out of Egypt to roam in the desert, that's not a complete deliverance. When He brought them out, He had to bring them to. 2 Corinthians 6.16 What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, walk in them, I will be their God, they will be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, says Yahweh. Don't touch the unclean thing and I will receive you. Okay, starting to wrap up. You ready? So what happened for Hanukkah? The temple and the altar was defiled. Big time. The temple and the altar is defiled. What was the heart of the people? To unite together and cleanse and rededicate the house of Yahweh. And it's not popular opinion, but just let me throw this out there. You can not like me later. It's Shabbat, you gotta like me now. <laughs> what altar was erected in the temple? Or what, what altar? What statue was erected in the temple? Zeus. Zeus. So because they erected a statue of Zeus, this defiled the holy temple and allowed for all these things to happen, and God was displeased with that. I would think we shouldn't have any association with Zeus, don't you? Have you guys want to be associated with Zeus? Not me. Because God said that was a defilement. Here's something big. What about Wonder Woman? But she's Israeli. She also says she's a daughter of Zeus. Is that what you want to teach our kids? To line themselves up to be a daughter of Zeus or to be a daughter of Yahweh? Hmm. Yeah, that is powerful. Because it's completely counterculture. But the Hanukkah story is, compl- is exactly that. Are we teaching our kids to worship and to behave and act and line up with the ways of Yahweh or idols? Hmm. Maccabees, 435. So now when Lysias saw the army put to flight and the manliness of Judah's soldiers, I love that. <laughs> when they saw the manliness of Judas' soldiers, and how they were ready to either live or die valiantly, he went to Antioch and he gathered together the company of strangers. And having made his army greater, he proposed to come again to Judea. And as Judas and his brethren, behold, our enemies are discomfited, so let us go and cleanse and dedicate the sanctuary. To do what? To cleanse and dedicate the sanctuary. Upon this, the host assembled themselves together and they went up into Mount Sion. Verse 38, And when they saw the sanctuary desolate and the altar profane and the gates burned up and the shrubs growing in the courts as in a forest or one of the mountains, the priest's chambers pulled down, they rent their clothes, they made lamentation and they cast ashes on their heads and they fell down flat to the ground on their faces and they blew an alarm with the trumpets and they cried toward heaven. Then Judas appointed certain men to fight against those that were in the fortress until they had cleansed the sanctuary. And so when the priests were were of blameless conversation, such as had pleasure in the law, who cleansed the sanctuary, and they bear out the defiled stones into an unclean place, and when they consulted what to do with the altar of burnt offerings, which was profaned, they thought it best to pull it down, lest it should be a reproach to them, 
because the heathen had defiled it, wherefore they pulled it down. They didn't want to use a defiled altar in the temple of Yah. So they laid up the stones in the mountain of the people in a convenient place, and there should be one to come a prophet to show them what is to be done with them. So then they took the whole stones according to the law, and they built a new altar according to the former. And they made up the sanctuary and the things that were within the temple, and hallowed the courts. And they made also new holy vessels. And into the temple they brought the candlestick and the altar of burnt offerings and of incense and of the table. And upon the altar they burned incense and the lamps that were on the candlestick they lit that they might give light to the temple. Furthermore, they set the loaves on the table and they spread out the veils and they finished all the works which they had begun to make. Now on the fifth and twentieth day of the ninth month, which is called the month of Kislev, in the hundred forty and eighth year they rose up the times in the morning and they offered sacrifice according to the law upon the new altar, the burnt offerings which they had made. So look at what time and what day the heathen had profaned it. Even in that was dedicated with songs and, cith- and citherns and harps and cymbals, then all the people fell on their faces, worshiping and praising the God of heaven who had given them good success. And so they kept the dedication of what? The altar. I think our focus is when we think about Hanukkah, who there should be a celebration, but the idea is remember our dedication is attached to that altar. And now think about Romans 12, 1 and 2. You present yourself as a living sacrifice. We're supposed to be laying our lives down on that altar, right? All the people fell on their faces, worshiping, praising. They kept the dedication of the altar eight days. They offered burnt offerings uh, with gladness. And they sacrificed the sacrifice of deliverance and praise. And they uh, decked the forefront of the temple with crowns of gold, with the, with the shields, with the gates, the chambers. They renewed and they hanged the doors on them. So thus they were with great gladness among the people, for the reproach of the heathen was put away. Moreover, Judas and his brethren, with the whole congregation of Israel, ordained that the days of the dedication of the altar should be kept in their season from year to year by the space of how long? Eight days. Why? Because that's how long it took for the dedication of the altar and the priesthood. Kept from year to year the space of eight days from the five and twentieth day of the month of Kislev with mirth and gladness. So the question is, whose house are we building? Whose house are we building? What are, what are we really seeking to build? What are we really seeking to do? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's hard to be a living sacrifice, isn't it? Especially in the process of dying to yourself. Like Rav Shaul said, I die daily. Why? Because it needs to be a daily thing. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, Notice the altar and not being conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, what this comes down to, where you spend your time and your resources, in essence, your life, is what you feel is important. So the the question is, what are you building? You stand back, you take a look at where you spend your time, your effort, all this, what are you really building? Are you going to building in the kingdom? Building his heart to try to show people his ways? Or are we trying to build something else? And only you can answer that. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where the moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. Haggai 1, 1 through 14. In the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of uh, Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, 
governor of Yehuda, of Joshua, the son of uh, Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says Yahweh Savaot, these people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of Yahweh. Then the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Imagine, I mean, even we, we talk about the Hanukkah story and it's kind of like compare contrast, you know? So in, in the story of the Maccabees, they, were, they desperately wanted to rebuild from where they were attacked. Back here, they were like, we'll get to it. Completely two different mindsets, right? Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says Yahweh Tzavah, consider your ways. You've sown uh, much, harvested little. You eat, but you don't have offer enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clo- and it doesn't remind you of like what, what the James says. You, a- you ask, but you don't have because you don't ask. But when you do ask, you're asking for the wrong things, out of the wrong heart, right? Uh, so thus says Yahweh Tzavah, consider your ways. So go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says Yahweh. Verse 9. So you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? Declares Yahweh Tzavaot. Because of my house that lies in ruins, with each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. What was the big deal about building the temple anyway? Because that's where Yahweh said that he wanted them to come to worship. Everything in the temple was considered a part of worship, guys. Everything that happened there was a part of a life given for worship. If you wanted to worship Yahweh, you know, you can say praises to Yahweh wherever. You can, you can do anything wherever, and you should, you know? But if a person truly wanted to be before the Lord and to honor Him and to worship, they had to gather with the people that were in the temple to do so. Therefore the heavens have, have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. Verse 11, And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain, the new wine, the oil, what is found brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. So when Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, of Joshua, the Zehodak, the high priest of all the remnant of the people, he obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God has sent them, and the people feared the Lord. So what happens? Verse 13, And Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares Yahweh. Why? Because their heart is now being lined up to what he wanted, to build a place where he can dwell among them. And Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, <laughs> That's a long name, isn't it? <laughs> Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, <laughs> and the spirit of the remnant of all the people, and they came and they worked on the house of Yehoiachavot, their God. That's the point, isn't it? That they came to build a place for unity together, to where they could come and gather in one heart, one mind. That's the point. Okay, a place where people could look and they could see. We know we're going to meet Yahweh. Why? Because He said He would meet us. He promised He would meet us. So what are we dedicated to? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. If you're doing these two things, the rest of it's commentary. <laughs> if you're really doing these two things. Everything else falls in these categories. Hebrews 10, 22 to 25. Therefore, let us approach the holiest place. The what? Holiest place. With a sincere heart, with the full assurance that comes from trusting. That's faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from the bad conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So let us continue holding fast to the hope we acknowledge without wavering. For the one who made the promise is trustworthy. He is faithful. 
Verse 24, let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. We're supposed to provoke one another, but to what? Love and good deeds, <laughs> right? Verse 25, not neglecting our own congregational meetings as some have made a practice of doing, but rather what? Encouraging one another. And let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. I think we see the day approaching. Ephesians 4, 11 through 20. I'm not going to read it, but you know what it says. There's a place for us to learn to gather together, to be equipped, to learn how to live life outside of the four walls. None of us are any better than any other. None of us are any worse than any other. But we do need to understand we all have different places in the kingdom. And when we're all in the right places, it's a good thing. Because then we all learn to work together. Where we won't have a strength, someone else has a weakness. Where someone has a weakness, somebody else has a strength. The idea is that we're learning to come and learn to work together as a body of Messiah, as a body of people to honor Him. Amen? Romans 14, 19 says, So let us therefore follow after the things which make for what? Peace. And the things where one may edify one another. What should our pursuit be? Follow after the things that make for peace. To bring peace to those around you. We live in a world that's scary. A lot of people don't have a lot of peace. We need to follow the things that bring peace and help edify one another. That's a testimony of, of being a people of Yahweh. Amen?